I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. scripture today is 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Read yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe he is precious. 
But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we are now in our third week of a sermon series that we are doing on the book of First Peter. And we've called this sermon series Pandemic Proportion because in the midst of, of this new normal we find ourselves in, in this event of pandemic proportion, we're reminded of the event of pandemic proportion that, that changed the world forever, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is our event of pandemic proportion in our faith. And so the author of 1 Peter writes these letters to these people feeling a bit lost and isolated and alienated and and like strangers in this strange land in this new normal. And the author of 1 Peter writes to them to remind them of who they are and whose they are during this time. And that, that the God who loves them, has prepared for them this extraordinary faith in Jesus Christ, this extraordinary hope and and way and church and calling and blessing and baptism and power through Jesus Christ in which they will be strangers in a strange land no more. And so two weeks ago we talked about this extraordinary hope. You remember Talked about this extraordinary hope in Jesus Christ, what it looks like, what what it means to us right now in this time. Last week we, we talked about the way, not the Mandalorian way, the way, that extraordinary way of God in which God rose Jesus from the dead. That's the kind of God we have. That's how God works. And then this week, the author of 1 Peter reminds those Jesus-following Jews in Asia Minor and reminds us today of the extraordinary church built with living stones in the hands of a living God that Jesus has called us into, this church that we've been invited to tend and to toil with God. The writer of 1 Peter seeks to jog our memories of this extraordinary church. This week while I was watching CNN, uh, in the midst of all of the, you know, the news that is always um, hard to swallow is, is you know, all the bad news, all of the depressing news, they, they offer this good news segment. I think they knew they needed it. <laughs> and so they're, they decided to zoom in on this Catholic church in New York City. And in this good news segment, they interview these two women who are serving at this Catholic church 
um, in New York City serving hot meals every day. They're volunteering their time every day in their church to serve hot meals to people who need hot meals, food, food insecure people in their area with masks on and gloves on. And so Shannon, one of the women interviewed, and the other woman, I don't remember her name, but we're going to call her Susan today. Shannon and Susan share about the ministry of their church, um, and they celebrate their church. And they also make sure in the process of doing this to mention a couple of other Catholic churches in New York City, in their borough, by name, that are not involved in mission like this. And then Susan says, we're doing this, and it's, it's like the story of the patron St. Martin. And at this point in the news segment, you can tell that anchors are wanting to wrap up the segment, and they're getting a little uncomfortable, and, and, but they couldn't, they, they couldn't end the segment now after she just said it's like the patron St. Martin with no explanation whatsoever why. Is it like the patron St. Martin? Reluctantly, they ask. And so Susan on CNN, which is cool, like that is on CNN, Susan tells the story of St. Martin. And she says, one night during a particularly brutal winter, the patron St. Martin of Tours met a beggar at the gates of the city. And having nothing in his arms... In the plain garment of a soldier, he prayed that that those passing by would have compassion on the beggar, the man at the gate. But but no one came to his side. And so Martin, taking his sword out, he he cuts his cloak in two and he gives half of his cloak to the beggar. And that night, in his home, Martin has a dream in which the risen Christ himself has has appeared and is wearing half a cloak and telling his angels that Martin had given it to him. And so at this point, Susan just said that on national television, on CNN, and at this point the anchors are looking super uncomfortable, and you can tell they're using phrases like, um, okay, thank you, and, um, and so as we move... And Susan has nothing of it, but somehow Susan manages to get in one last phrase in the midst of the anchors trying to move on to another segment. And she says, Shannon and I are so blessed to be like St. Martin during this time. To be the church. To be with God on the edge right now. Because a lot of people in a lot of churches aren't doing this right now. And the anchors managed to wrap it up at the moment. And you can still hear Shannon, like, trailing off, naming actual other parishes in her, in the borough of North Carolina, of, um, of New York that she's in. You can hear her trailing off as they end the segment. All those churches that aren't like St. Martin. And, like, I just stood, it was hilarious. It was hilarious to watch. But as I was reflecting this week on, on First Peter's extraordinary church in chapter 2, I couldn't get out of my head. I couldn't forget Susan's 
definition of the church. Did you, did you catch it? She managed to sneak it in there. This definition of the church, being the church, was being with God on the edge. And I'd have to say I agree with Susan, or whatever her name was. The extraordinary thing about the church, the purpose of the church, is to be with God on the edge. She got it right. And her story of the patron St. Martin did illuminate that definition of the church. It, It did magnify the work of the church in being with God on the edge. And yet somehow in the midst of her and and Shannon's posture on national television, somehow in the midst of her sneaking in the story of St. Martin as, as, as if she was entitled to all the time in the world on national television, somehow she managed to both define the church and live the definition all wrong. These six words, being with God on the edge, that's the extraordinary church of Jesus Christ. But today, as we, as we root ourselves in First Peter, I want, I want us to break that down, to know what that really means in light of of this event of pandemic proportion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in in light of this resurrected God. And so let's start with, I'd like to start at the, the end of that phrase. The last three words in that phrase, on the edge. The author of 1 Peter adapting the prophet Isaiah says, come to him as living stones to be built into this spiritual house, this holy priesthood, the church in the world. Once you were not a people, but now you have been gathered in in stone by stone by stone as God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you, you know mercy well together as God's church. In other words, Christianity begins on the edge. We are our Gentiles. We are on the edge of the Old Testament story, which is about Israel, not us. We're on the edge of it. By by the mystery of God's will, we have been included in the glory of God's redemption still. It's it's not like we're the center of the story. And we, like St. Martin, graciously reach down to assist the marginal people at the gate. We are the marginal people 
lucky to have been included in Israel's story. Here's the problem with Susan's take. We're not St. Martin in this story. We're the beggar. And even more than that, Jesus is the one who was at the center of the story, not us. Jesus was the one who was at the center of the story and and for our sake became marginal. He was rejected by my mortals, as First Peter puts it. He was the stone that the builders rejected. He was the beggar in the story of St. Martin. He, he's on the edge, and he is the one we're called to follow. Now think for a second about when you see a has-been musician or an out-of-date comedian or an injury-prone athlete. We're likely to say he or she has lost their edge. And this discloses this this second layer of meaning to, to the word edge, right? Edge also means ever new, always making new beginnings, never afraid to stretch or risk or discover. So if we put these two meanings together, the cutting edge of newness and this divine edge of humility, you have where the church belongs, these two together. Every opportunity for worship and ministry and mission at Kingstown should be about asking ourselves, have we lost our edge? And that shouldn't just mean innovation or discovery or, or experiment or newness. It should, it should mean rather, are we, are we hanging out with the right people? Are we talking about the right things? The important things, the real things, the things no one wants to talk about? Is this a place where the well off and, and the barely getting by come to the same table? Where people who, whose family is broken, is so broken that they'd prefer to find a family, a new family with us, meet those whose life has, has caved in through addiction or loss of relationship or work or, or the deteriorate, deteriorating of mental health or social discrimination or financial distress. And it's not that our, our goodwill and our good deeds and our benevolence it's, it's not that in our, all of that, in our goodwill, in our good deeds, and in our benevolence that we have mercy on other people. It's, it's that in, in significant ways we are such people. And that such people show the whole community what it is to, to believe and to be faithful and to be hopeful and to be loving. That's the part of the definition Susan seem to not get, seem to leave out. Those on the edge teach the church who God is. That's why the church 
must be committed to, to being with people on the edge. Because that's where God is. Who are the people on the edge right now? The extraordinary thing about the church is being with God on the edge. Which brings me back to, to the first two words of that phrase, that definition Susan used for the church. Being with God on the edge, those first two words, being with. You know, I think that with is the most important word in our language. And certainly in theology. With is the reason for our existence. God made all things so as to be with us in Jesus. With is the purpose of our life to make and to restore genuine relationships of trust and understanding and care, sometimes intimate and joyful and sometimes boundary and respectful. But, but this word with, in every case, demonstrating what Isaiah described as precious and honored and loved, this word with, when we act for others, we can be full of, of good intentions, but we, we can often fail to, to represent their true conditions, their true concerns. And more importantly, we can often lose the, the, the relationship that's more important than the action itself. Even when we work with others, we can get so captivated by the goal to be achieved and how good it's going to make us feel that we can lose sight of the relationship that's invariably more significant than that goal. The person that's, that's achieved amazing things, but that has trodden on every colleague in order to reach such, such dizzy heights and has no one whom to celebrate their success. You know this person. Or in other words, of an endearing pastor friend of mine, if we go to the pearly gates alone, God will say to us, where are the others? And so the story of, of St. Martin and the beggar is in the end an account of, of two people who realize their need of each other, their witness. It's the relationship here that matters more than the cloak. Our society is fragile, not because of a shortage of cloaks, but because of the challenge of restoring broken relationships and broken systems that often seems way too much to handle and bear. Christianity is not the story of how God offered us a cloak, but it's, it's the story of how God healed a broken relationship with us and, and, risked everything to do so. 
Christianity is fundamentally about restoring broken relationships with, with God and ourselves and one another and with all of creation. The church is about restoring relationships. The church is about being with God on the edge. It's about rediscovering the with. And often people worry that being with just sounds passive. But the point of our our activity is to be present where God is present. It's not to put the world to right as if we believe that God isn't already doing that. We affirm that saving the world is God's job, not our job. And and we seek to show up where God shows up and follow in Christ's footsteps and try to keep up with the way that the spirit is working in the world. And so, no, it doesn't mean just closing our eyes to the pain and the need of the world and sitting in naivety at Christ's feet, not paying attention to the brokenness. but, But it also doesn't mean just doing good for the sake of good. Ignoring where Christ may be calling us to that's harder than just doing good. And just setting off in a headstrong way to do the things as we see fit, rather than leaning in and listening for where God is calling us. The truth is that in heaven there will be be no problems to fix, no, no crises to put right. We'll spend eternity being with God and with one another and and with ourselves and with this renewed creation. And our calling is to live God's future now, which means to seek restored relationships with those with whom we'll be spending forever. The extraordinary thing about the church is being with God on the edge, which brings me finally to that middle word of this phrase. Another part of this definition of the church that Susan seemed to miss in all of the shaming of neighboring churches. That middle word, God. The 19th century philosopher Feuerbach, who I think might just be Christianity's greatest ever critic, complained that Christians use God as their trump card in this quest to claim that they are better than other people, that they know what good is, that they're good people. This is what he said. He said, Faith gives a person this peculiar sense of their own dignity and importance. Believers often find themselves distinguished above other people, exalted above them. They know themselves to be the persons of distinction in the possession of peculiar privileges. And they use words like First Peter's. Chosen race and royal priesthood and holy nation and God's people as proof of that. And God, it seems to be this distinction between and preeminence of believers above everyone else. God is the believers personified. 
These are painful words. These are like close to the bone words. And they are a warning to us. Feeling like strangers in a strange land, surrounded by people of all kinds worth finding fault with. They should be a warning to us and to every church. We don't worship God as a means to our own self-advancement and glorification and praise in this world or the next. We worship God for God's sake alone. We seek goodness for God's sake alone. Doing so doesn't make us better than anyone else or any other church in our borough. If you came to church to be a better person, you're in the wrong place and you're here for the wrong reason. The church does not exist to make us feel better about our lives or about how good we are or even create people who do good in a world full of people who do unthinkable things or nothing at all. The church exists. We gather as the church for worship for God's sake alone. The church exists for God's sake alone to be with God on the edge. And this may very well make us sorely aware of our own shortcomings. Above all, it makes us grateful for God's mercy and awestruck by God's glory. Sometimes people wonder if amidst our commercial culture and charitable activity that God will get lost in it all. I think it's the opposite. Christians are always supposing that because God is promised to be made known in the scripture and in the sacraments, God isn't available elsewhere. We're always at risk of trying to be more spiritual than God. At the Kingstown Communion, our worship, ministry, mission, through the variety of activities that we do mean that we daily open our hearts to encountering God through, through our being the church in a host of places, namely right now our homes with our hearts stretched out all over the world. At the Kingstown Communion, being the church, being with God on the edge is this holistic body, mind, and spirit way of meeting a God who is eternal truth become flesh and blood. And we're known for our practical Christianity and our accessibility. We're, we're inhospitable to pretentiousness. Or at least, at least we should be. And we're uncomfortable with, with words like best and excellence and, and perfection because they sit uneasily with the humility and the authenticity that we seek to embody together. We're about living God's future now. We're about spending today with the people with whom we'll be spending eternity. We're about living 
a whole body gospel, flesh and blood, spirit and truth. We're about seeking God's face and in the ones that society and too often the church have rejected. We're about following God's initiative, walking in Christ's footsteps, catching up with the work of the Holy Spirit, catching up with what that work is, what the Spirit is already doing. That's the extraordinary church that God is building here and still is. And so when I heard Susan talk about the the story of St. Martin, I thought of you, God's extraordinary church. This story is about a man who had a dream about being with God on the edge and he came face to face with Christ. The church is is a community that seeks to live that dream. We are a community that seeks to live that dream in our corner of creation, in Kingstown, a dream in which we abide with, with God as God's companions, now and forever as these living stones built into God's church in which Christ alone is the cornerstone. A people who once were no people, but by the grace of God now are together a people, a people who, who once knew no mercy, but together know it aboundingly. In this season, let's, Kingstown, let's dream together. Let's, let's be the church together by being with God on the edge. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation, by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be.